Welcome to The Wrap-Up, a weekly podcast that gives you an insider's look at the top stories in Hollywood. I'm your host, Sharon Waxman, the founder and editor-in-chief of The Wrap, and joining me is my co-host, Daniel Goldblatt, assistant managing editor via iPhone. Hey, Daniel. Hey, Sharon. We are MacGyvering this podcast this week. We're both on our phones. We have no power. We have no Wi-Fi, but we we power through. <laughs> we That's what we do here. But at we rap. power we through. Find we're a way. not going to let... We're not going to let any of that bother us at all. All right, so here we go. And first first up, Britney Spears. She scored a victory against her conservatorship this week when the judge ruled that she gets to select her own attorney, which she then did. And he has already signaled that he plans to bring an end to her 13-year ordeal of this conservatorship. So where does she go from here? We're going to discuss it with two legal experts, Benny Rashong, who chairs Greenberg-Lusker's Trust's trusts and probate litigation group, and David Glass, a family law litigator who was actually in the courtroom on Wednesday. Then we're going to dig deep into this year's Emmy Awards and talk a little Can 2021 with the RAPS Awards editor, Steve Pond, who might be the only person in the business who can actually speak expertly on both of those topics. Yep. But first, Sharon, let's get into some headlines. The RAP this week broke the news. Tony Maglia, our TV editor, was behind it. That Jerry O'Connell would take over as host on The Talk, effectively replacing Sharon Osbourne, who was ousted from the show in late March. The Talk has never had a permanent male host until now. And considering the diverse hosts that they do have and the fact that Sharon exited after a big dust-up over race, it's a little curious to me, at least, that they went with a straight white man for the position. Sharon, do you have any issue with this? I don't have an issue with it because I'm not a big fan of the talk, but I actually think it's kind of a cool marketing idea to bring uh, a, a guy of any kind, white, <laughs> straight, of color, any kind, because the, these all of these talk shows, the view, the talk, they're exclusively um, hosted by women and they're meant for a women's audience. And they sort of are a throwback to soap operas and the era when you presume that there's a lot of women who are at home and have time after the kids have got off to school and sat down with a cigarette, a menthol cigarette, and a cup of coffee to watch their favorite talk show. Does anybody do that? I don't know. But definitely people do watch the show. I think it's kind of a fun idea to bring a guy on board. <laughs> yeah, I think Jerry sort of has positioned himself as, as this, he has this little niche market because he's been Wendy Williams is sort of fill-in host on occasion, and now he gets mm-hmm. this role here. So I think in some ways it makes total sense, which is why I find myself kind of bored by the pick. I was kind of hoping they'd go, if they were going to go with a guy, go outside the box, reach a little deeper into the celebrity sphere for someone. But I guess Jerry's fine. I, I, you know, that's what I think. I just go, okay. I, I don't think it would I mean, I, I, th- I, don't, I don't know that you can get just like any guy for that role, right? Like it's got to be... I'm sure there are lots of men who would have been great for that role. Um, and I think Jerry got a good gig. That's a good gig. <laughs> That's what I think. Oh, yeah. It's a sweet gig. An hour yeah, a day. Definitely. Yeah, exactly. And good money and fun. And you get oh. to be in the headlines all the time. So good, good for Jerry. Meanwhile, has Disney solved the box office versus the home streaming problem? Black Widow, you might say they might have squared the circle, but it depends on how you look at it. The Bla- Black Widow, the Marvel movie, debuted last weekend to $80 million <laughs> domestically at the box office, which is a new post-pandemic high, and it took in another $60 million worldwide from its paid streaming release, which was on Disney Plus for 30 bucks a pop, coming out simultaneously. 
Theatrical windows have changed or have altogether disappeared across the business. Do you think Disney has squared the circle by doing this? Daniel, what do you think? I, personally, I love this. I am someone who I have a nice television, a good sound system. I love watching things in my living room and the ability to see a big release at home if I want to is great. I think I wish more people did this. I think it's the way to go. Certainly in this era, we'll see if, you know, we're still uh, not quite out of the pandemic yet. It seems like we're starting to come back into it a little bit with the variants that are right. going on. So right. it'll be curious to see if in a year from now and two years from now, if this is the, the new norm completely, but I for one am all for it. More of it, please and thank you. Well, I think Disney did something smart. They figured out how to um, get different revenue streams going. They've got domestic box office, they've got international box office, and they've got domestic and international paid streaming. And of course, they keep a much bigger portion. Uh, almost all of the paid streaming goes right to their bottom line, right into their pocket, unlike having to share the revenue more or less 50-50 with theaters. So that's obviously extremely appealing to them. But it, the main thing is what do consumers want? It seems pretty obvious that consumers want that paid streaming option because they really stepped up to it. Yeah, I think option is the key word you use there. I think if you give people a choice and it's able to make financial sense for everyone involved, that's to me win-win for everyone yeah. across the board. I, I hope it, it becomes more of a standard going forward personally. As mm -hmm. yep. All right, finally this week, Chrissy Teigen is speaking out about what it's like to be canceled. Teigen, you may remember, came under fire in May after reality star Courtney Stodden yes. accused her of bullying. Teigen yep. lost a number of sponsorships as a result, and she has remained mostly out of the public eye ever since. In an Instagram post this week, Teigen said in part, quote, cancel club is a fascinating thing, and I have learned a whole lot. Only a few understand it, and it's impossible to know till you're in it. And it's hard to talk about it in that sense because obviously you sound whiny when clearly you've done something wrong. It just sucks. There is no winning, end quote. Sharon, you know, we did a whole series on cancel culture and specifically about what it's like to try and come back from being canceled. Do you have any sympathy for Chrissy Teigen here? Not really, no. Any other questions? No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. Um, I, no, I mean, Chrissy Teigen is like, I mean, she got beat up for that Instagram post, I mean, I just read a cascade of shade that was being thrown on her last night for saying, oh, I guess it's not enough that you are gorgeous, rich, a model, married to John Legend, two gorgeous kids, or yeah, and rich, and now you need everybody else to love you too. It's like, you know, it feels on Chrissy Teigen's part, and generally I like her a lot, but this just felt ridiculously needy. Uh, like celebrity need, you like, love me, love me, love me, please. How am I ever going to get out of this cancel culture hole? I mean, she did apologize and she came forward and she said, I want to change. I have changed. I want that, that, that whole era that, by the way, uh, contributed significantly to her becoming a celebrity is in, is in the past. And I now recognize that it was a bad way for me to you know, profit and become and become an influencer, become who I am. And so then she should just go forward and do do her life. I mean, it's going to take I, I do think absolutely that that, you know, what Chrissy that Chrissy Teigen is going to be fine. She just has to go through this period of purgatory. And it sounds like she tried to leave that purgatory a little too soon. 
Yeah, I, I found, I didn't find the post quite as objectionable as some people did. I thought it was a little self-aware. She wasn't trying to say, it was, was me. She was just like saying, I, I thought she was saying like, this is the, my reality now and it's weird. Yeah, but, but, and, but, but I know, like, she, like, like shut up, tell it, to your, tell it to your best friend, tell it to your mom, tell it to John Legend, you have to tell the world. Yeah, that's the part that's, that's needed. I, I think it would, for sure. I think, I think the only answer in this situation is, to your point, is you just have to serve your time in purgatory until it's kind of okay to come out. And there's no real way to know it. But when you do, it can't be in a woe is me sort of way because no one's going to react to it very well, as we're noticing now and as, as you <laughs> stated. So I, I think I think she just has to wait it out. Like it's just, by the, it sucks. And by the and way, like you said, she gets to wait it out with John Legend. So that's nice. But yeah, it's super nice and two adorable children. But by the way, also, here's the other thing she could do. If she really wants to come back from being canceled and she can just state to the world, God, this really sucks. I hate being part of this club, but you know what? I'm gonna dip my toe and I've dipped my toe and now I'm gonna start, you're gonna start hearing from me. And there's gonna be a lot of haters who jump on board just because they hate everything. And there's a lot of people out there who just love to spew you know, vitriol and hate as we know. And she's probably just gonna have to power through that. And I suspect that if she did that, She'd be back, and I wouldn't say back in Clover necessarily, but she would be acceptable company because she's not really unacceptable company. She just got she got dinged, and she, and and she also came out and said, "I didn't behave properly. I want to change." And so she can she can step out and do that. Nobody's stopping her. Yeah, I think Chrissy just needs to go back into that purgatory that you mentioned for just a little while longer, and then she'll be okay. All right, as always, we like to conclude this first segment with a little something we call Wax On, Wax Off, where we allow our founder and editor-in-chief, Sharon Waxman, the opportunity to speak out about something she's particularly into this week, her Wax On, and something that has her a little more wild up, if you will, her Wax Off. Sharon, as always, the floor is yours. Thanks, Daniel. So my Wax On this week is a fun one. It's a new limited series by Mike White, who's a super talented writer-director who we don't hear from enough. He's the creator, he was the writer of um, School of Rock, famously. Uh, he was a writer on Freaks and Geeks. He wrote Chuck and Buck, uh, just super talented guy. And he has a new series on HBO called White Lotus, which is really, really fun. It debuted last week. It's, uh, you know, they're, they're giving it, they're doling out week by week. I think there's six episodes or maybe eight. Anyway, it's about a bunch of super privileged families, couples who go to a Hawaiian uh, resort and, um, Splay their privilege all over the place. It's just a wonderfully observed character studies of pampered families living in our culture with Black Lives Matter and um, you know woke uh, w watching woke teenagers you know complain about the fact that the resort is built on stolen Hawaiian land, but want to make sure that they get you know everything you know all their drugs. Uh, back from the lost and found because they absolutely need their drugs. Um, anyway, it's really funny. Jennifer Coolidge, always delightful uh, of the Bend and Snap fame, is is in it, and um, lot just a great cast and lots of great actors who I've never actually heard of playing some of the Hawaiian roles, playing the Australian hotel manager, and there's there's an upstairs downstairs feel to it which is also really funny, definitely recommend that. That's my wax on. My wax off is uh, much more serious, which is 
um, a dissident Iranian journalist who also happens to be a friend of mine because I got to know her through the rap women uh, events that we do. Her name is Masi Alina Jod, um, was the subject of, and I can't even believe I'm saying this, a plot to kidnap her from her Brooklyn home to spirit her away by speedboat to Venezuela, where she would then be flown back to Iran to be dealt with in whatever way the Iranian government wants to, wanted to deal with her. By miracle, the FBI uncovered this plot, has indicted four Iranian agents, and uh, have now told Masi uh, that she was the subject of a kidnapping plot. Masi uh, posted on Instagram this week, uh, and I spoke to her, uh, she was understandably completely freaked out. She had had police uh, parked in front of her home for two weeks in Brooklyn. And when she would ask them why they were parked in front of her home, she said, we'll tell you later on. And then she found out that the reason why was because there was this threat to kidnap her. I just want to say this enrages me so fully to my core that I don't, I barely have the words to speak of the wax off. But what this goes to is just to take in this notion that a uh, an adversary of the United States um, could consider coming onto our soil and kidnapping a, a pesky dissident journalist who refuses to shut up about human rights abuses and the lack of women's rights in Iran because Masi is very, very vocal about women, how she feels that women should have the right to decide whether they want to wear a hijab, the, the veil covering her hair or not. And so she has instigated an entire movement where on Wednesdays, women remove their hijab in Iran and then they send her the video and she posts them. So it drives the regime absolutely crazy. And also other abuses like police abuses or people send her the videos in Brooklyn and she posts them and she gets half a million, a million views on Instagram all the time. So she makes the regime absolutely crazy. What this, what particularly enrages me about this is that we as a nation did not stand up to Saudi Arabia when they murdered Jamal Khashoggi. And neither did the Trump administration, nor did the Biden administration after, after announcing uh, in February that our intelligence uh, organizations have concluded that Mohammed bin Salman, the ruler of Saudi Arabia, was behind the kidnapping and murder and dismemberment of Jamal Khashoggi, and that we took no further action. So when you allow rogue regimes to act in such a manner and with no consequences, this encourages other regimes who have no respect for human rights to act in similar fashion. And in fact, in such a bold and brazen fashion as they would come onto into the United States and kidnap a dissident and remove them. So that is my wax off. We ignore authoritarian tyrants at our peril. We do not protect, we fail to protect journalists, especially those who are residents in our country. And in fact, Masi is an American citizen. We, we do not protect them at our peril. That's it. That's my wax off. Very well said, Sharon. Thank you very, thank you for saying all of that. I couldn't agree more. That'll do it for this week's Wax On, Wax Off. When we come back, we'll dive into the Britney Spears conservatorship, Emmy nominations, and the Cannes Film Festival. Stay tuned. So Britney Spears took a step toward ending her unpopular conservatorship this week when a judge ruled that she can hire her own attorney instead of having the court-appointed one she's had for years. So what is next in this ordeal and how likely is she to get out from under this? Let's, let's discuss this with Benny Rashan, 
who chairs Greenberg Glusker's Trust and Probate Litigation Group, and David Glass, a family law litigator who also has a PhD in clinical psychology and was one of the very few non-media members who was in the courtroom this week. Thank you guys for joining us. Sure. Thanks for having us on. Thank you. Okay. So let's, ju let's just jump into this real, real, real uh, quick. What is the... What, what is going to happen next? Is she now, is this conservatorship now going to go away? What do you think? David, let me start with you since you were in the courtroom. Well, technically what night needs to happen next is that Brittany's newly hired attorney needs to file a petition to ask to end the conservatorship. And if not asking for that immediately, it seems like they want to ask that her father be removed from the role of being the conservator of the estate. That it sounds like it's going to happen in the next 45 days uh, because the court set a follow-up hearing for September 29th and, and things have to be filed and you have to have enough time so the other parties have enough time to respond. Uh, and that's a pretty quick timeline for the average probate court case. Mm -hmm. So Be Benny, let me ask you, the, this whole thing has just got whipped up into a frenzy in the past several weeks, probably starting a month and a half ago or so or two months ago when the, the documentary came out about Britney Spears, and then suddenly people started noticing that she still is under this conservatorship, even though she has been apparently been very unhappy and chafing under um, th just not having control over her own life. Uh, and I know that Daniel has a, a, a different, a counter opinion about this, and we'll let him get in here Slide. in a second. Yeah. So, um, which seems fairly straightforward has just become this big public debate. Um, should this have been avoided to begin with? If this is in fact getting unwound and she finally has representation that is of her own choosing? I, I missed slightly the last couple of words that you said, but um, basically I think what really brought a lot of attention to this was uh, Brittany's statement in court um, in, you know, at the hearing on June 23. And the significance of that were twofold. One was the content of what she said, but the more significant thing that the, you know, the aspect of that for the court was, you know, how lucid and eloquent Brittany was. And in probate court, um, conservatives and anybody that is under any kind of proceeding, the court allows uh, for them to give testimony. And so what, what ended up happening is that that testimony was relied upon by the court. And so at the follow-up hearing, the court listened to Brittany herself and granted her request to hire a counsel of her choosing, which in and of itself is, is very uh, significant because the conservatorship by its own very nature uh, doesn't allow for that. Right. And so basically allowing somebody to choose their own counsel is 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 indirectly saying this person's capacity has been restored because hiring right. an attorney. Right. Hiring an attorney is you, you have to have, you know, the capacity to enter into a contract that you understand, which is not a doesn't require a, you know, a low bar. It's quite a high bar for you to understand the impact of being able to, to make a decision like that on your own behalf. Right. So, but what everything that I've been reading and obviously no legal expert here, but it has basically suggested that this is a law that generally applies in more sort of toward the end of life cases where people ha have dementia and they're not able to uh, manage their own affairs and somebody needs to step in and actually help them. Uh, is this sort of like 
pulling back the curtain on a other, another whole set just because Britney Spears is a celebrity, so we know about her and we care about her, but is, is there like a whole population of people who've had their rights taken away uh, who were not in the throes of dementia? Um, that is definitely a possibility. You are absolutely right that typically conservatorships apply to folks that are elderly. And when they terminate, they terminate because that person's life terminates and there's no longer a need for them to um, you know, be conserved. And, and this case definitely stands out because you have a younger adult who can speak and you know a lot of these conservator conservatorship cases that I have seen in court you know you have the conservative being wheeled into court and so definitely yeah. the concerns that you have with respect to that conservative's capacity to you know advocate on their own behalf is definitely mm -hmm. questionable here it's completely you know something that's uncommon and everybody looking at the situation things have to be handled differently than your typical conservatorship matter Okay, Daniel, now's the part where you get to jump in and say, but wait. <laughs> no, I'm not I'm not completely on on the other side of this, but I do think that the idea that the conservatorship just came completely out of nowhere is a bit false. David, you were in court, so you got to listen to Brit. Yeah. How did she sound to you? Well, you know what? I was uh, I was actually tuning in when you were allowed to tune in uh, back uh, in June on the 23rd, so I heard her first statement live. And then I managed to horn my way into the courtroom uh, yesterday. I <laughs> uh, sharpened up my elbows and talked to the tip staff and figured out a way to get in. But in any event, the thing that struck me was uh, that Britney's speech was extremely fast. It was pressured. The, the words were shooting out of her mouth almost like bullets. Uh, she exhibited something called flight of ideas, where she hopped from one subject to another. She talked about not getting her hair vitamins and then mentioned that when she was a young child, her dad used to come home drunk and then mentioned that she felt like she was overworked when she was working in Las Vegas. And she hopped around among these various ideas without a lot of interconnections. I, I um, want to say it sounds like George Bush, but that's a non sequitur. Yeah, it, it's it, it, George never spoke this quickly. It was extremely fast. <laughs> the judge had to interrupt and say, you need to slow down because our court reporter is trying to get this all down. But she also showed some uh, what you might describe as paranoia. She talked about that people were out to kill her, that people were out to shut her down, that uh, that people were out to harm her. Now, again, a lot of those observations may be true, but the way she put them together left me wondering what exactly is her mental status? And, and if you look all the way back to 13 years ago, she was obviously in the throes of, of mental illness at that time and acting in an unsafe way for herself. That caused her father to step in and said, you know, I, I've got to take over here. The question is what has happened in the last 13 years and where is she right now? I mean, th this is really goes to the heart of the question because and I think this is this is the point that Daniel keeps wanting to represent, and he's gotten beaten up on Twitter after our last week's pod. Yeah, like, what's the matter with that guy? Because I think there is a natural desire to jump to the defense of Britney Spears. First of all, there's an entire generation that grew up on her, on her music and loved and modeled themselves after her and loved her, and feel that she the the idea that she's not the you know the agent of her own life is disturbing. And certainly, you know, we've talked about this idea that she has this IUD, that she can't get pregnant, that, that this is against her will, is extremely offensive to many women. And I'll put myself in that category. But at the same time, I think what Daniel has covered, Brittany, for many, many years has been sort of 
with some trepidation saying, hang on, she's had some real problems. Mm -hmm. And does she still have those problems? And then how do you uh, deal with that that aspect of it? Right. And I mean, and it comes down to in most cases where mental illness is the cause of a conservatorship. And again, we've discussed that that's a, a minority of the cases. But in those cases, people get into the conservatorship based on the expert testimony of a doctor or a psychologist or a psychiatrist. And the way to get out typically is to then have a doctor or, or psychologist or psychiatrist do an evaluation and say, whereas Brittany may once have suffered from symptoms A through B or C, D and E, right now she's not suffering from those symptoms. Yeah, yeah but she said, she, like, she does not want to submit to another evaluation. So it must be some like very horrific experience? I don't it, know. Uh, again, it's, it's, a, it's a morning with the psychologist. Uh, I've sent numerous clients uh, through them uh, as part of their own conservatorships. And she herself said during the, the testimony that she's already done six or seven of these. That mm -hmm. sort of leads me to believe what were the results of those six or seven right. psychological evaluations that have been done over the last 13 years? Because if any of those indicated that she had regained her capacity, we wouldn't be sitting here talking about it today. And so, again, that's that's where I come from as a, as a former psychologist and then an attorney who practices here. There's a lot of facts that none of us are aware of because most of the file is sealed. All of the medical records, all the psych right. records, all the, you know, the court has its own investigator who goes out once or twice a year to see what's going on and to review the accounting done by uh, by her father. Nothing has ever, uh, you know, come out of those investigations either. So that, that leads me to wonder. Betty, so, I want to ask you real quick. Um, I think most people have learned by now through all of this about conservatorships that Brittany's actually under two, one of her person and one of her estate, one that handles like the personal issues and medical issues and things like that, and one that handles her business affairs. Do you think she's more likely to get out from one versus the other or both or neither? How do you, how do you see that playing out? Absolutely. So I think she is most likely to get out, out from under the conservatorship of the person, because if you actually look at the law on it, you know, these are it's a very low bar. If the person can manage his or her own personal decisions concerning, I mean, these are basic skills. Like, do you can you take your own medication? Can you you know wake up in the morning and function as a human? I think that that is 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 something that doesn't. Uh, require a, a very high level of capacity. Um, the other, you know, with respect to this is a very interesting conversation for me because as a person who has litigated conservatorships, um, the idea of administration of psychiatric medication in my practice, a probate conservatorship does not automatically grant the conservators of the person to administer psychiatric medication. And, you know, during Brittany's statement, she said that, you know, she was given lithium against her wishes. And I, when I've looked at the docket and I understand that there's a lot that's been going on and it may be sealed and, you know, as, as David put it, it, it is all, as a public, we're not privy to that information. I haven't seen any orders uh, that that even indicated that this would have started as an LPS conservatorship. Now, by contrast, LPS conservatorships are specifically for um, folks who have a mental 
issue, like for example, well, what does LPS stand for? What is that? Um, it's the Landerman. Um, oh, it's somebody's. Oh, okay. It, it's it's never act. Mind. Yeah. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's a it's it's a basically a, a psychiatric. Uh, breakdown that could trigger an LPS conservatorship. Those are very different. They are handled in mental health court, for example, in Los Angeles. And those allow you, by operation of law, they expire after a year. And that LPS, the letters under an LPS conservatorship allow you to administer psychiatric medication. Okay, so I have not seen that the probate conservatorship you know, there there has been some some additional LPS conservatorship component to this. That's that's one thing that jumped out at me. Um, and the other aspect of this is, um, you know, I, I kind of lost my train of thought on that. But but yes, to me, it's significant that you just don't have these. Well, yes, actually, it just came back to me. Sorry about that. Um, the 5150 hold that is a psychiatric concern so if, if a probate conservatorship requires that you have to go through the psychiatric evaluations and by the way i think david you're referring to a capacity declaration and i have not seen those in this case but absolutely the court would have seen those before instituting a conservatorship right and i mean the, the, the subtext every here is that she's really still in trouble <laughs> and we, she may be, but she may not be. And, and in fact, her new attorney raised that issue that Benny just raised, that they have some questions as to whether this whole conservatorship was started in the wrong way in the first place. Because again, typically mental illness is, is handled by these LPS short term. Yeah, sure. Sounds, yeah, it sounds like that would have made more sense. Like this, the, the fact that this thing goes on indefinitely seems right. Kind of nuts. Because again, yeah, most like, people with mental illness, you, you get in to see a therapist, you get on some sort of medication, and within right. a year, most of the symptoms have gone away, uh, other than for the few, you know, the percentage of people that medication doesn't work for, the, the hardest cases in psychiatry. Uh, and so most people get in and get out. And, um, and that's where this case is very unusual. Mm. Well, by the way, I also forgot to mention this. Um, the statute itself, the probate code, does not require a psychiatric or psychological evaluation before a conservatorship can be terminated. If you look at the text no. of the law, one, an evaluation is not required. It's not a component of it. So if the court looked at all the circumstances in aggregate, including testimony from anybody who has worked with Brittany, from Brittany herself, from, from, from anybody who could give competent testimony to the court, it is possible that the court would say, the law doesn't require that I, that I get a psychiatric evaluation. I think the other interesting point that David mentioned, which I personally myself am very curious, is what, what is the court sort of informant, the investigator, what, what do those reports contain? Because that, would be critical sure. to the court sure. evaluation. Right, right. The other question I wanted to ask is, it seems the major majority of Brittany's complaints are both about the conservatorship of the person, but about her father, who's conservator of her estate. And it sounds like she's more likely to get out of the conservatorship of the person, which would leave her father still in place. What do you make of all of that? Because Jamie's involvement seems to be like the biggest point of contention among Brittany and among her fans and among the press coverage. How do you see his role in this playing out? So I don't think that it could, it, it, it typically does not well in probate court where a fiduciary who gets paid by the person that they represent objects to that person being in that role because 
you know, in this type of scenario, the court is going to be asking questions about, well, is the discord, is all this conflict ultimately beneficial for Brittany? And if the court decides, no, it is not helpful, that would be a circumstance for, if not terminating the conservatorship, to remove the person that is creating so much conflict. So I do agree with, with Brittany's new counsel on this issue that, frankly, he should not put up a fight. If, if his daughter does not want her or no longer wants him to serve in that controlling position, then I think he should see the writings on the wall and exit gracefully. You know, you're absolutely right about that, too. It's And I, I really wasn't thinking about that before the hearing yesterday. But when uh, when Mr. Rosengard stood up and said, you know, essentially, Jamie, why, why don't you just resign right now? You seem to be the crux of all the problems. Um, again, it was an unfair thing, sort of a little sh uh, showmanship going on in the in the courtroom. But it does get to the heart of the matter. Um, when I when I again, when I used to be a therapist. Uh, and I worked with people who were suffering uh, in addictions. A lot of times their family members would come in as cohorts, as helpers in the therapy. And then after a while, they'd get fed up and say, I don't know that I could keep doing this. And I would tell them on the side, you're right. If this is hurting your life and this isn't working out, you may have to put up your hands and step away. And I think that is the area where her father is right now, that the court could easily appoint a professional fiduciary to manage the money, uh, to, to handle her budget, to do those sort of things, and just remove the whole issue of Brittany's uh, continuing complaints about how her father has treated her. Exactly. At a minimum, what the court would be doing in that scenario is, you know, the court could consider, for example, suspending the conservator's powers pending a removal. That way, it directly eliminates that source of conflict, because you could very easily see Brittany's team filing a petition to terminate the conservatorship of over the estate and over the person. And then you see an opposition being filed. All right, Benny, David, thank you so much for all of your expertise. I'll be very curious to see where things go from here. And hopefully I have a feeling we will have you guys back on again to discuss this next round, like you said, which is coming up in September. Thank you both for being here. Thank Happy to come us. back. Thanks. Thank you. Aaron, we've got two big beats on the award circuit this week. It's Emmy nominations. They came out on Tuesday. Yep. And the Cannes or Cannes Film Festival, depending on your preference. I'm going to say Cannes. You, you go Cannes. All right. It's going on right now, and it wraps up this weekend. And there's maybe, I think, only one person who has the resume to speak expertly on both topics. And luckily for us, he works here. He Please works welcome. here. Please welcome to the wrap-up awards editor, Steve Pond. How's it going, Steve? All right. How are you? Good, good, good. All right. You've been sleeping at all this week? Um, I, yeah, a little bit, but um, less, well, less than usual, but probably more than I would be if I were actually in camp. Exactly. Do you want to explain to our our readership, viewership, audioship? audioship? Uh, no, I'll, I'll just say that it, you know, to our to our viewers, if your passport is expiring anytime <laughs> within the next year, there try to get it renewed now because it is a mess. There you go. Okay. Never, never a fun. And process. behind that that simple phrase lies uh, a horror show of other yeah. pro proportions that we won't share. Okay. All right. All right. So Sharon, let's hear. What do you Sharon, think? Sharon, dealer's choice. Do we start? Do we start? Can well, or do we start Emmys? I think let's start with Emmys because that was uh, Tuesday. Tuesday. Yes. So and Steve, we've been waiting impatiently. Yes. In your analysis, you called the Emmy nomination voters lazy. 
Explain but, why. Yeah, now I understand that there are too many TV shows. You cannot watch them all, even if you're an Emmy voter. But it just seems strange that in category after category in the acting races, you know, you had multiple nominees from the same shows. Um, you know, the the category, um, what is it, guest actor in a comedy, the nominees are four hosts from Saturday Night Live and Morgan Freeman from Kaminsky. You know, supporting actress in a drama, four actresses from Handmaid's Tale, three from The Crown, and one from every other show in existence. You know, supporting actor comedy, four from Ted Lasso, two from Saturday Night Live. I mean, I understand that those are great shows and they have a lot of good acting on them, but it just feels like, did the Emmy voters really go through the whole ballot? Well, they well, is the conclusion then that there's just so much to watch that it's overwhelming and that the voters just gravitate to the shows that they know or have heard are good and so they just haven't sampled enough of the other content that's out there? I, I think that's part of it. I mean, you also, you know, Emmy voters have always been known as being real creatures of habit. That's the right. only reason Don Cheadle is an Emmy nominee this year. You know, he had one three-minute scene in one episode of Falcon and the, and the Winter Soldier. And, yet, and there were 60 contenders in that category vying for those five spots. It just seems crazy. And even Don, Don Cheadle doesn't know why he was nominated, <laughs> except that voters have been loving him for years on every show he's ever been on. Because Falcon and the Winter Soldier also got a bunch of noms. That also it, happened, by the way. Marvel got its first nominations, right, for Emmys. Yeah, I mean, Marvel, you know, really the, the leader for Marvel was WandaVision, not Falcon and the Winter Soldier. But, right, um, right, of course. You know, WandaVision got, I, I think, 23 nominations, which is pretty remarkable. Mm -hmm. um, Falcon and the Winter Soldier did okay. It couldn't break into the, the drama series category, but, um, you know, but it did pick up a few. So what were the, some of the big surprises for you? apart from the fact that you think that the voters are lazy. Right. I mean, I, I was surprised that The Boys was nominated in, in drama series over in Treatment or Falcon and the Snowman or Perry Mason or mm. uh, Mosquito Coast or one of the other shows. Uh, I, I was surprised that in comedy, they went for Emily in Paris, which is, you know, was not right. well received over Girls 5 Eva, which seemed to have some some heat, or Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist in its last season. You know, there there were odd choices. Um, you know, at the well, same time- Well, in fact, didn't, didn't the Golden Globes take, get shit for nominating Emily in Paris after they got, had a junket to Paris because right. the show was so not deserving? And yeah. here it is at the Emmys. <laughs> here it is at the Emmys, yeah. I mean, you have to give Emmy voters credit, you know, Pen15 is not, is a pretty adventurous, odd show. It was nominated for best comedy series. Um, so they, they made some they made some good choices, but yeah, they definitely made some very odd choices. I'm gonna make a sports analogy. There's a lot of people who think in the NBA season this year, winning the title is almost like you get an asterisk because so many NBA stars were injured in the playoffs. And it feels like whether it was COVID or bad timing, there are a lot of shows not in contention this year that normally would be dominating the Emmys. Does this feel like a well, like which Emmys for you? Which. There's no succession this year. There's no Better Call Saul this year. There's no Stranger Things right. this year. It's just kind of a and a lot of sh couple shows ended. It's just kind of a down year overall for me. Do you do you agree with that, Steve? Yeah, I mean it's 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 a quirk of timing, and a lot of it had to do 
with COVID delaying production on everything. So there were right. so many shows that would have been in contention this year, but they didn't get their new seasons finished in time. You know, in, in the comedy series category, there was only one nominee from last year that was eligible this year. You know, Kaminsky Method was the only comedy that was nominated last year and was also eligible this year. Everything else, you know, I mean, obviously Schitt's Creek ended and, and The Good Place ended, but everything else, it's just the shows that were nominated last year couldn't get, like Insecure, couldn't get their seasons done in time to air this year. Um, you know, Succession, the same thing. Ozark, the same thing. So many Ozark. shows were were sort of, you know, missing in action because of the delays, because of COVID. Now, you know, as a Dodgers and Lakers fan, I'm going to defend the championships. They, they won in those shortened seasons. So I'm not going to cast aspersions on whoever wins. I was speaking more so of this year. Uh, I think yeah. last year's was, was very justified, but yeah. And also I think, do you, do you think the average person thinks a limited series is less prestigious than a drama, even no. though it feels like every, it just, the no. drama category feels so weak and the limited series just feels like a, it's just packed or Nucopia. Right. It's just an overflowing yeah. of riches. That trend is just really drained drama, I think as well. Well, I, yeah, it, it has. And I think, Nobody feels like limited series or you know in any way less than drama series these days. I mean that I think I think the move to limited series because it's much more for a big actor. It's it's you know it's much it's a better. showcase. It's a great yeah, to, showcase to get on a limited series that gives you a ten-hour arc to explore your character, but doesn't tie you to a five-year contract. Hey, but Steve, do you feel like the limited series need to be broken into drama and comedy now because it's like this is a weird assortment of nominations there um it is i mean i don't i don't know you know they didn't have i'm trying to remember how many you know they only they only had enough nom or enough contenders for five spots which means it was fine 60 i think it was about th between 30 and 40 limited series were competing this year splitting that in half you know how many how many comedy limited, ser limited series are there well that that's going to be my wax on in, in, in a little while, so it's one that's coming out. There's there's probably going to be more. Is my point is like yeah. people seem to be really liking the format, the the writers, yeah. no, and, and the actors. No, there's no question that's the most vital format on on TV right now, and also because the way we watch TV has changed so much. What you know, a drama series used to be the thing you watched once a week. There's nothing we watch once a week anymore. Right, except a limited series on HBO or whoever is dropping right. once a week. Yeah. Do you think? Do you think there's a chance? You know, I, the reason why I still think drama series is considered the thing is because that's what ends the Emmys right. and that's what ended the nominations. Do you think we'll ever see like? And I know I'm sort of like a little inside baseballing here, but it would be kind of curious if they switched around the order and let limited series be the the sort of hammer yeah. of the night. I don't know. I mean, it would take somebody wanting to sort of rethink the Emmy show. I think that, yes, you're right. Typically, drama series is considered the single most prestigious Emmy. Mm -hmm. um, and probably it still will be this year when, when the crown wins. <laughs> oh, it's going to win. You it's, just... it's, it's a lock. Yeah, no, you're not. Okay, well, nothing like cutting to the chase and spoiling <laughs> the party. All right, let's talk about con. The con... Film Festival, okay. for those of us who speak French, and can for all the rest of you plebs. <laughs> What's um, going on there? 
I mean, it's it's a it's a very interesting fest festival to look at from afar. You know, it's like all the headlines are being made by by COVID testing and by you know the movie where the nuns have sex and <laughs> the woman has sex with a car and the movie where you know Adam Adam Driver and Marion Cotillard are singing while they have sex. Um, meanwhile, wait, can I go back? No, no, no. That's wait. not that's not what the he the headline was there, Steve. But you you sidestepped a. You PG'd it for us a little bit. Right. Wait, did you, say, did you say a woman has sex with a car? Yes, he yes, did. Yes, with a car. Oh, okay. That's right. the, the Julia Ducournau movie, um, Titan, I think, that just screened a couple days ago. I mean, it's basically a, a sexy horror movie that is getting extremely good reviews out of Cannes. Um, it's, it's interesting because on paper, it looked like there was this amazing lineup of these international auteurs and those aren't the guys who are getting a lot of the headlines. Um, you know, I, it still looks to me like kind of the leader in the clubhouse for the for the, the Palm is probably Ascar Ferrati for a, for a hero. But really, the you know the attention has gone to the you know the weirder, fresher movies that are in competition. Then, and, and for those who don't know, Oscar Ferrati, of course, has already won best. Uh, international Oscar. He's an incredibly right. talented. He's, and he's won two Oscars. Two for Oscars, yeah. Preparation and the Salesman. He's never won the top award at Cannes. He's won other awards again. So, um, you know, this this could be his year, but my vote doesn't count. It's Spike Lee's vote and, and his jurors that count. Right. Well, we and what about like the the films, the Sean Penn film, the Wes Anderson film? What right. about those? Those well, have those. I, I would say of the three American films that are in competition, the Sean film, Penn film is is pretty much out of the running. Um, I thought it was pretty good. Most people there didn't like it much at all. Um, it's it's weird because the reviews out of screenings that weren't in Cannes were very were for the most part positive. The ones in oh. Cannes were for the most part negative. Um, I think the American director who has a real shot here is Sean Baker, um, the young you know, the director of The Florida Project and Tangerine. We love him. A new movie called Red Rocket about uh, an aging porn star who tries to mentor. And, so, who has uh, sex with the car and becomes a nun? Uh, no, no, wait, sorry. But there is, there is sex. There are, there are porn stars. There's, uh, and, and that one premiered a couple of days ago and has gotten, you know. Really have you seen purpose. it? I have not seen it. Okay. Um, and I, there are pictures on, on Twitter of, of Spike Lee standing and applauding at the end of that movie, which apparently is rare for him to have been, you know, to, to have done this year hmm. at the festival. So who knows? I mean, I feel like more than Sean Penn or Wes Anderson, Sean Baker could be the, the American director who's got a real shot. All right, Steve, uh, we'll let you go. You've had a busy week and, and you have more ahead, I'm sure. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us and dropping all of that expert knowledge upon us. Right. I feel that was great. so and much we'll smarter have, now. Yeah, so we know what's going to happen at the Emmys because he just spoiled it for all of us, but we don't know what's going to happen at the Cannes Film Festival, so we can look forward to that this weekend. Okay, thanks. Thanks, Thank everybody. Thanks.
That does it for this week's episode of The Wrap-Up. Thanks for hanging in there with us through all the tech difficulties. We hope to have our electricity back by next week. So your listener, our listeners are the greatest. Your listeners, our listeners. Just remember to please follow or subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcast. And maybe this would not be the week to rate and review us and let us know what you think of the pod. I don't know. Have a great one. See you next time. <laughs>